Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most difficult trials a Christian can go through is to experience a lack of assurance of God's love. To go through life feeling like you're under God's condemnation can cause great feelings of despair. Without assurance of God's love and Christ's saving work for you personally, it's nearly impossible to have rest in your heart. A heart without assurance is a breeding ground for anxiety and fear. And if you have ever gone through that struggle, or if you are going through that sort of trial right now, perhaps you might even say to yourself, if, if only I could rest in Christ, what a difference that would make. If only I could know God's love and that Christ-saving work was for me personally, what a difference that would make. And indeed, what a difference that would make. What a difference it does make. Beloved, this is one reason why God has given us the sacraments. He knows we are prone to doubt. He knows that we are weak and weak in faith. He gave us the sacraments, including the, the Lord's Supper, to help us grow in assurance. As we confess in Belgian Confession, Article 33, we believe that our gracious God, mindful of our insensitivity and weakness, has ordained sacraments to seal his promises to us and to be pledges of his goodwill and grace towards us. He did so to nourish and sustain our faith. Now, as we study Lord's Day 28 from the Catechism this afternoon, we see two main categories of benefits that God seals to us through the Lord's Supper. First of all, it focuses on the finished work of Christ, what he accomplished in his death and resurrection uh, in the past what those events achieved. The second category of benefits it focuses on is on the living union we currently have with Christ who is now in heaven at God's right hand and which continues on day by day. And as we grow in our faith of these two categories of benefits, what Christ accomplished so many years ago in his death and resurrection, and what he continues to do from heaven to day, live in communion with him. As we grow in our faith of these two things, we will grow more in assurance of God's love and favor towards us. And this in turn will cause us to grow indeed in, in peace, in rest, and in joy in the Lord. So that brings us to the sermon theme. Christ gave the Lord's Supper to strengthen weak believers We'll see, first of all, he strengthens us by his finished work. That's the first category of benefits I mentioned. And second of all, he strengthens us by his ongoing presence. That's the second category of benefits I mentioned. <clears throat> so this afternoon, we're focusing on the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And given that's the case, <clears throat> there's something about our readings from Ephesians that might make you scratch your head a little bit. I said that we're going to be studying the Lord's Supper and that 
then we're going to read these passages from Ephesians. Did you notice that in these sections from Ephesians 2 and 3, that nothing is said about the Lord's Supper? Absolutely nothing. There's no reference to communion. There's no talk about bread and wine. There's not even a table. So what gives? Why did we read these specific passages? Well, it's because these texts speak a lot about the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. And they describe so wonderfully what God has given us in Jesus Christ. They declare what Christ has done to save us by his finished work, right? That first category benefits. And they describe so richly his ongoing presence in the lives of believers, that second category of benefits. And this makes these texts great passages from which to study the meaning and message of the Lord's Supper. And that's true even though the passages themselves don't specifically mention the Lord's Supper at all. And this has to do with the nature of the sacraments. You see, the sacraments are signs and seals of the good news of Jesus Christ and what that gospel contains. The sacraments have been called a visible gospel. They give us a picture of Christ's saving work. And so what the good news of Christ tells us in words in places like Ephesians 2 and 3, the sacraments, including the Lord's Supper, declare to our other senses. So we're going to uh, listen first to some of the things Ephesians 2 says about the finished work of Christ for us, and then we'll see how this fits with the message and meaning of the Lord's Supper. So according to Ephesians 2, here's the situation the Gentiles were in before... They became Christians and heard about the only Savior, Jesus. And this situation described is true of all of us by nature. There it says, At one time, we were separated from Christ, and we had no part in his saving work. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That is, we were kept outside of the people of God. That's what we were by nature. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. No share in that wonderful promise of God. And it says plainly, we were without God and without hope in the world. Think about how bad that is. To be separated from Christ without God is the most terrifying thing imaginable. See, absolute horror awaits someone in eternity who's separated from Christ. And that's what we would have had apart from the grace of God. But listen now to how Ephesians 2 describes what Christ has done. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, in the context of this passage, to be brought near means to be brought into the people of God. 
This also includes, at one time, being kept out of God's special presence in Israel. You see, in the Old Testament, the Gentiles had no access to God in the temple in Jerusalem. They had to stay in the courts of the Gentiles. They were not allowed to approach the Lord. They had to remain far from God's presence. But here it says in Ephesians 2, by the the blood of Jesus Christ, all people who believe in Christ now have access to God. They've been brought near, brought into the people of God, and can come into God's presence. It's through Jesus' blood. Verse 16 then describes more of these benefits. Christ has reconciled to God both Jew and Gentile alike in one body through the cross. What does it mean to be reconciled? It means to have a healed relationship. Where there once was enmity and strife between two parties, a peace is made. And it was our sin that made us enemies of God. But Christ has removed the cause of our war against the Creator. He's removed our sins by His death on the cross. Finally, it says in verse 18, For through Him, that's through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Christ has given us access to God. We can come before God's throne in Jesus Christ. We have access to his holy throne. So those are some of the benefits of Christ's finished work mentioned in Ephesians 2. Now, how does the Lord's Supper fit into this all? While the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he gave it to us to assure us that these things, as described here, are a reality for you who believe. The Lord's Supper strengthens our faith that we ourselves, not just this Ephesian church so long ago, but we ourselves have these very benefits described here in this chapter. That they are ours. Think of the Lord's Supper a moment. In that sacrament, we have bread and wine as symbols of Christ's body and blood. And that bread and that wine, symbols of Christ's body and blood, is given to us. It's given to you. Think of this now in terms of what we read from Ephesians 2. At one time, we were separated from Christ. We had no share in him. We were apart from him. But what does God proclaim to us through the bread and wine? As symbols of Christ's body and blood, you are no longer separated from Christ. Instead, you are intimately joined to him, connected with him, one with him and his saving work no longer separated from Christ. Furthermore, in Ephesians 2, it says, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That too is the message God proclaims through the Lord's Supper. The blood of Christ has been poured out for us. It's what God proclaims. 
right where we are, given into our hand. It has brought us near, near to God and near to God's people. Ephesians 2 says Christ has reconciled us to God in one body through the cross. Again, that's what's proclaimed in the Lord's Supper. Christ's body is pictured in the bread. It's broken before our eyes, symbolizing Christ's broken body upon the cross. And it's through that broken body that we are reconciled to God, restored into a right relationship with him. And we could go on with all the saving benefits described in Scripture in this way. The Lord's Supper gives us a picture of those saving benefits, and it declares that this saving work of Christ is yours personally. It's not just something you read about in the Bible and say, oh, that sounds nice. No, it's for you. These wonderful things we read here, being reconciled to God, having access to God, having peace with God, they're true for you and for me who who believe in our Lord Jesus. And this is how the Lord's Supper strengthens our faith and, and also our assurance. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the good news of Christ as described also here is applied deep within our hearts as we partake of the bread and the wine. And the sacraments can't do this all on their own, of course. They can't work this faith all on their own. Instead, the sacraments, like the Lord's Supper, simply build upon what God tells us in the good news, preached from his word. And working in conjunction with the word of God, the Lord's Supper drives this gospel into our souls by the power of the Spirit. Listen to how this is described in Lord's Day 28. How does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share, that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? As surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. So the next time that you partake of the Lord's Supper, think upon these gospel promises also described in Ephesians 2. See how they are pictured before your eyes in the Lord's Supper. That God has come to you and is declaring to you these wonderful saving benefits of Jesus Christ are now yours. And you may rejoice in that. And you may rest in that. And believe in your heart that as surely as you eat and drink the symbols of Christ's body and blood, so surely are these wonderful saving benefits of Christ now yours. That brings us to the second point. So the message of the gospel and the gospel as pictured in the Lord's Supper, does not end there. You see, the good news of Christ is not just a message about what Christ has done in the past when he lived upon the earth. Yes, of course, that's a big part of it, but there's still more. It's also about what he continues to do today from heaven at God's right hand. Yes, Jesus died on the cross hundreds of years ago, 
but he's alive again. He's the living Savior, and the Lord Jesus wants living fellowship with God's people, with you, a living relationship of love with you. Yes, he also ascended into heaven. Of course, he is there. That's where he is. He will remain there until he comes again. But by the power of his spirit, he still has intimate communion, fellowship with every believer, with you. And this intimate, ongoing communion is described wonderfully again in our readings. To quote Ephesians 2, verse 18 again, Through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Notice how all three members of the Trinity are mentioned. As we are joined to Christ by faith, as we are one with him, he has brought us into fellowship with himself and with the Spirit and with the Father. Then there's the very end of Ephesians 2. In Jesus Christ, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's an ongoing reality. This is temple language. See, the Old Testament tabernacle and temples were where God were where God experienced close fellowship with his people. And the tabernacle and temples were the symbol and reality of his ongoing presence among them, his desire to live with them and have fellowship with them. Now, things have changed in the new covenant. We no longer have those physical structures, the tab- tabernacle and temple. And that's because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the temple of God. He is called the chief cornerstone of that temple, also in our readings. And we, like living stones, are joined to him. And God, by the Holy Spirit, is creating a massive temple, a worldwide temple, out of all believers in Christ. And so it's in us that Christ dwells, and that God dwells and lives by his Holy Spirit, ongoing intimate fellowship and communion. Sometimes I wonder, do we really understand how glorious these truths are? Do we really understand it? What I just said, that we are the temple of God, and that God lives in us by the Holy Spirit. How amazing is that? God living in you. Ephesians 3 expands on this ongoing fellowship and presence of God in Christ. Paul prays like this for the Ephesians, but it's also for us here in Winnipeg. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, through faith. And that is one of the uh, fundamental purposes of and messages proclaimed in the Lord's Supper. 
May God grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ might live in your hearts through faith. And that's why we eat the bread and wine in the Lord's Supper, symbols of Christ's body and blood. We don't just come around this table and we see the minister breaking bread and we don't just see him pouring the wine. These things don't remain outside of us, but we ingest them. We feast on these symbols of Christ's body and blood. And what is the goal? It's the goal found in this prayer. That the Spirit would so work in us so that through these means, Christ would live more and more in our hearts through faith. You know, throughout church history, there's been a lot of debate about the presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. Some have said that the bread and wine turn into the real physical body and blood of Christ. But doesn't that thinking miss the point? We don't need to physically eat Christ's real body and blood. Doing that doesn't affect our hearts. Doing that would not give us living and ongoing fellowship with the living Lord Jesus. Doesn't this prayer of Paul show us the way? May Christ live in your hearts through faith. Not so much of what the Lord's Supper is about. That's why we come to be strengthened in the Lord's Supper. That this living union and fellowship between us and the risen Christ by the power of the Spirit would, would be solidified and become more and more intimate and stronger in our lives. And that is how we flourish and grow as Christians, Christ living in us every day. And that the the life of Christ would be manifested in our lives. We would become like him. That's going to make all the difference in the world. The Lord's Supper proclaims that we are truly one with the Lord Jesus, part of his body. Our confession in Lord's Day 28 puts it like this. First, there's answer 75. Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave this, these promises, or this promise. Surely as, as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. And then there's question and answer 76. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? It means to be united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. And therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. We forever live and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. You know, so many people in this world think religion, including Christianity, is all about doing, all about rules. You do this, you do that, you get into God's good books by doing better and better. That's the religion of natural men. 
And yes, there is doing in our faith. Read the Bible. There's lots of things God calls us to do and put into to action. But it's so much more than that. It's about a living relationship and intimate fellowship with Almighty God in Christ. And our experience as Christians is far greater than just memorizing a bunch of facts and checking off some religious boxes that we need to get over and done with, like so many religions. We have something far greater. We have a living relationship with the the glorious Christ, the Lord of glory. We are bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. We live and are governed by one spirit. And listen to what we get to do as Christians. Paul prays here in Ephesians 3, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He talks about being strengthened to comprehend these uh, four dimensions, breadth and length and height and depth. This might refer to several things. could refer to the unsearchable riches of Christ mentioned in verse 8. Because he had talked about the temple in chapter 2, could be talking about the glorious dimensions of, of that living temple that we are part of. Could refer to the multifaceted salvation we have from God. But most likely, these dimensions refer to the great love of Christ mentioned here. The love that surpasses knowledge. And what words those are, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's one job, one glorious job we have as Christians. That's one thing God calls us to do. To try to comprehend more and more this love of Christ. It surpasses knowledge, he says. It's as if we will never be able to comprehend it completely. That's how great it is. But we can grow in this knowledge together with all the saints, all our brothers and sisters here in this church. And that's also one of the purposes of the Lord's Supper. That we would grow in our understanding of the love of Jesus. In this supper, we see Christ's body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. It's a message of what the Lord Jesus has done for you, how much he loves you, giving up his life completely, pouring out his blood for you. Remember who we were when he did that. Sinners. Sinners that deserved his judgment. Sinners who, as the beginning of Ephesians 2 says, were dead in trespasses and sins. And yet he gave his life for us. And as we come to know this love, we are filled with all the fullness of God, says Ephesians 3. This is what we have as Christians. So we can know we have a living union with Christ. And so we are never alone in this world. No matter what happens to you, 
No matter where you might go, no matter how lonely you might be, you are God's child in Christ. No matter what someone might do to you, no matter, might, no matter what might happen, God is with you in Jesus Christ. No human can take away this reality. The devil cannot destroy that intimate bond. And this is a bond and relationship that will only grow with Christ into eternity. The love of Christ surpasses knowledge, it says. This will continue to, to come in eternity. In eternal life, we will grow in our knowledge of this love of Christ together with all the saints. Amen.